Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. Before we get started in this episode, the first couple of minutes, there's just a little bit of audio background noise. Uh, It goes away at about the two minute, 15 second mark. It's minor. It should not interfere with your listening experience. And it does get better at about the two minute, 15 second mark. So hang in there for two minutes, 15 seconds. The sound gets much clearer and on with the show. I'm very excited to have as my guest today, Dr. Matthew Matava. Dr. Matava is a professor of orthopedic surgery and of physical therapy, as well as the chief of sports medicine at Washington University. He was also the immediate past president of the National Football League Physician Society and served as the team physician for the St. Louis Rams for about 17 years. Now, obviously, we're in the middle of football season. I'm a huge sports fan. I used to be a sports writer. The intersections here are are obvious and apparent. So really excited to have someone of Dr. Matava's level of expertise come and join us to talk about the issues around sports and athletics and medicine. So Dr. Matava, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Obviously, like many, huge sports fan. Obviously, we enjoy we enjoy professional football. I've always been struck by how the NFL has a real mastery of marketing. And yet I had never heard of the NFL Physician Society until just a few months ago. Tell us a little bit about the NFLPS, what its mission statement is, when it came together, what it tries to accomplish. Well, that's probably a problem on our part if you haven't heard it until now. And we've, you're not the first person that's, that's told me and has told us that. Um, uh, it stands for the NFL Physician Society. Um, and what it is, it's a, it's an organization of the team physicians that started in 1966. Uh, we currently have about 155 members. That number changes from year to year, obviously, as medical groups change with each team and people retire and, and new people come out of their training and join a team. Um, it's basically the physicians uh, who take care of NFL teams. And as you can imagine, there are a number of physicians, not just the you know the orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine doctors, but there's a whole cadre of, of physicians that take care of each team, uh, just like a, a small medical staff of a, a small hospital. Um, Dr. John York, who's the uh, who's a physician, he's a pathologist, but he's also the owner of the San Francisco 49ers, actually coins the University of the NFL because we have so many subspecialists with so much expertise, so much research background, um, that it really is a small university. And so our mission is pretty clear. That's to uh, take look after the health and well-being um, of the NFL players, uh, both while they're playing as well as after they retire. It's an interesting phenomenon where you have all of these different specialists being associated with a specific team. I wonder, is it ever territorial or is there a free exchange of information where if one team has a a specialist who's a world's expert in foot and ankle pathology, will any team be able to kind of ping him and say, hey, can you take a look at these films? Can we look at this MRI together? Can we talk about options? Or is it, hey, you're part of this team, we're part of that team, we're competing separate and and no communication? No, it's definitely like the former. Um, At the end of the day, we're all physicians. Our duty is to take take care of the players as our patients. Their patients first, their players second. Um, I do understand the competitive issues that go on, not only in the NFL but also the NHL. We, I take care of the St. Louis Blues as well. Um, in every every professional team sport, there are going to be competitive issues where, you know, some coaches and general managers may not want uh, an opposing players, rather, a, a, one of their uh, players' medical information uh, let out to the rest of the country. And for the most part, 
that is honored because keep in mind there is there are hip issues that apply when you're taking care of a of an athlete. Now at the, at the start of every season, the player signs a waiver that says that certain amount of information is allowed to be given to the media, to the rest of the team, mm-hmm. to the uh, the administration of the team, um, just because of the fact that these are all work related injuries. Right. And so if anybody who's listening to to this uh, podcast knows that if you take care of of uh, an employee. The employer has a right to know what the diagnosis is and what the treatment and prognosis are. So having said that, it's expected that there's a certain amount of information that's going to get out about a player's injury. And sometimes the players themselves give it out. They say, I took ACL, or I had a Liz Frank fracture, or I had a shoulder dislocation, I'm going to have surgery. And so because of that, a lot of that's already out. However, having said that, we are still very respectful that if we have a person who has a complicated foot and ankle problem, as an example that you just asked about, I might say, listen, you know, we have three excellent foot and ankle specialists at Washington University. However, in talking with them about this condition, there's sort of debate as to how the best option would be to go with this. And so we all thought it might be a good idea to reach out to Bob Anderson or to reach out to someone else who's a hand specialist or an elbow specialist, whatever it may be, and call them to get their opinion. Is that okay with you? And I've never had a player say no. In fact, in the NFL, <laughs> right. it's the opposite. Yeah. It's just yeah. the agent who is demanding, not requesting, demanding a second opinion before I even give them a first opinion. <laughs> so it's become sort of sort of the uh, just nature of the beast, so to speak, that the agents want the players to get a second opinion just to make sure all the, all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted yeah. in terms of the appropriate diagnosis and treatment. Because these guys, if you, you keep in mind, none of the contracts in the NFL are guaranteed, and right. that's, that has huge implications for their, for their employment. Number two is the average lifespan of a player is about three and a half years in terms of their their NFL lifespan. And so every year or every month that they're out risks them being cut from the team and another player steps in and takes their place. And, and that's a, that's a big deal compared to baseball, basketball, and hockey where the contracts are guaranteed. If you get injured, there's no risk of you being cut. Um, you may play one game, you may play 162 games in major league baseball, but you're still going to play the same. That's not the case in the NFL, even for the star players. There's a great section in the book, The Right Stuff, where they talk about the test pilots having to go see the flight surgeon and feeling like there was nowhere for them to go but down. All the flight surgeon was going to do was tell them you're grounded, you can't fly for whatever reason. When you have players come into your office on a Monday after a game or for whatever reason, what sort of sense do you have, given that background, given that issue of, you know, there's no guaranteed contracts and it really is a day-to-day proposition, what is that dynamic like when you sit down with a player for the first time, arm in a sling, ice pack on the knee, whatever it may be, what does that dynamic feel like when you have to start exchanging information and coming up with a plan? Well, I mean, it depends on how long you've known the player. Yeah. Okay. So if you have a rookie who is a free agent who you may not even see at the combine because he wasn't invited to the combine, um, you know, you don't know this player. If he's maybe not a prominent player where he's not played a lot, you may not know him anyway because he hasn't been injured yet. It's a little bit different than if you have a player who's been with your team for five or six years. You've maybe operated on him before. You maybe have taken care of his mother as well. A whole different dynamic there. So in answering the question about the first player who you don't have a great relationship, I think you establish relationships just like you would as a physician with every other new patient encounter. Yeah. You know, you, I try to make a policy with my regular patients that I sit down with them. I don't stand over them. I sit down, actually sit below them and, and speak up to them. So it doesn't seem like I'm kind of, you know, dictating what goes on high, high from high above. And I explained to them, we have lots of models in the medical office. We also do one thing I think is very important for anybody who takes care of a team like this is we have a special room 
just the treatment. The medical room is separate from the training room. So there's a training room. We have all the players running out. They're watching ESPN. They're listening to their phones or whatever. We set them in a room. We close the door. It's completely locked. There's complete you know, security in terms of you, you and I are speaking. The trainers are obviously. But it's a private encounter just like you'd have if you went to your own doctor's office. Mm-hmm. We have a full exam table. I have models. I have textbooks with you know easy to understand diagrams. I go over here's what the MRI showed. In fact, we have a computer screen there that shows them. We, we're linked into our to the Washington University radiology uh, PAC system. So I can pull up their MRI from this morning. I can pull up their X-ray from the from the game that occurred because uh, we can every stadium has uh, playmaps available electronically. And so I say, here's the X-ray. Here's the MRI. Here's what we think you did. This is the injury. This is the recommended treatment. This is the prognosis in terms of return to play, in terms of whether or not you need surgery or not. And usually the injuries are pretty, you know, cut and dry, well established that how the treatment is supposed to go. If the player has any questions, we certainly answer them. If they're not quite sure, I offer to call their trainer. I mean, their uh, agent. I offer to call their mother or father sometimes because um, you actually do so. Sometimes I'll call their wife. Sometimes they'll have their wife in there with you um, while you're going over the exam. And so it kind of depends upon the situation of the player. But we try to be as open, as transparent as 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 we possibly can, just like you would with any other patient. And then and then like any other patient counter, I do a full dictations discussing everything just like you would in a in a regular physician patient encounter it's interesting to hear you talk about how that same sacred space that we try to create is still being created uh regardless of whether it's uh, a hall of fame bound athlete or their mother or anybody else because i do wonder about the perception that people have of non-physicians have of physicians who care for athletes are there conflicts of interest are things done differently what is your sense of the way physicians who care for athletes, especially in the NFL, so fraught with controversy around player well-being and player health, what is your sense of the perception of the health care provided to NFL players? I think it's as good as any in the world. Yeah. Um, in fact, and I'll give you a reason I think that. How many, player, how, many, how many medical specialists do you think are on the sideline or in the stands to take care of the players? Not, not the fans, but to take care of the players in any NFL game. Oh my the gosh! Answer, yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah. There's there's 29. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And the average person doesn't know that either. Yeah. Um. And so what happens is there's an assumption that yes, you work for the team. Your job is to get them back on the field as soon as possible. At the end of the day, as I told you before, these are our patients first, players second. And then people say, well, your job with the team is predicated on wins and losses. If you guys, if you have a bad record. You'll get fired. They'll bring somebody in who's more, you know, widely likely to let the star player play. And I told him, I said, listen, when I, when, during my time with the Rams, we've been one and fifteen, we've been two and fourteen, and three and thirteen, and I still have a job. Okay, and so yes, the coaches are hired and fired because of wins and losses. The medical staff is not, and quite frankly, the the general managers, the team presidents, and owners, they have also evolved over time as well to know that you know, this is a big investment, and mm-hmm. to have a player. Go back prematurely. If I tell them this is a six-week injury and they try to put him back in five weeks, despite what they say, they can they can reestablish the injury, and now they have a eleven to twelve-week injury when they could have had a six-week injury. They've come to know that all along the way, um, and so you, you hear you see a lot of stuff on TV any given Sunday, the movie, any given stuff. Sunday, the movie. That that's yeah. the one. That's absolutely you know, the one. Other movies like. Um, Oh, uh, the one about the Dallas Cowboys, uh, North, North Dallas, Dallas 40. 40, North Dallas 40, you know, 
does not paint the team physicians in the most favorable light. No, so it we does not. fight, we're fighting Hollywood a little bit, yeah. but like you said, at the start of this discussion, you know, how come the public doesn't know who the NFL physician society is? Well, physicians in general tend not to get on a soapbox below their own horn or tout yeah. what they do. They kind of do what they do. And if you recognize what they do, that's great. Um, not that we're like umpires where you should know who we are. Right. The thing about that though, you know, with the NFL Physician Society, is it able to be sort of an advocacy group? Is it able to be able to sort of say to a general manager or to an agent, back off? We're, we're board certified orthopedists. We're professors of surgery. We're professors of sports, of sports medicine. Let us do our work. Does that ever happen where you do have to sort of muscle back a little bit and say, guys, back off and let us do our thing? This player, this person's best interests are both the short and the long term. Let us do our thing. Yeah, that's really evolved even over the past several years. I mean, if there's any question, for example, that a player had a concussion, you know, a, a coach knows he has no say in what goes on. It's it's not even discussed. If the player needs to come out, he's coming out. But I've I've joked, you know, I've had I've had Jeff Fisher most recently, you know, would say, well, how about doing this? You know, can you maybe can we maybe do that? And I say, listen, Jeff, I don't tell you when to run the ball on third and four. Okay. Right. Please don't tell me when to get an MRI with all due respect. And we both have a joke, laugh about it. And he gets my point. Um, you know, you can be tact, you know, tactful with it and appropriate with it. Um, the thing about a lot of the coaches nowadays is they've often been players themselves, him included. And so they've often had a lot of these injuries. They've often had a lot of these surgeries. But if the coach in the NFL now, that means they were playing back in the 70s, 80s, and maybe 90s, but usually earlier than that where the medical care was different in general across the country, not just the NFL, but also NFL medical care was different. And so it's evolved, you know, a considerable amount of time since then. So they, coaches and, and team presidents and general managers are realizing, you know, this is, a, this is an investment that they have, to, they have to protect. But there's also the medical legal, plus also the, the public relations and the media side of things they have to consider too before they, before they start to insinuate their opinion into how a player should be cared for. Do you ever have it where the external pressures are such that you have to counsel a player? I think you're not getting sound outside advice. I think this is going to lead you to short versus long-term harm. Is that a place where as a physician, you can be an advocate for a player sometimes? Yes. I mean, our job is to be an advocate just like it is for a regular patient. Yeah. I've had players come to me where they, they're saying that um, maybe a friend of theirs or maybe a some allied health personnel person suggests they try, you know, some sort of injectable vitamin therapy or some sort of intravenous therapy. And, you know, my job is to tell them, listen, let me tell you the research behind what you want to do. Okay. And to tell you that there is no research supporting what you want to do. Let me tell you what the potential side effects are of what you want to do. And they're considerable. And I, my job is to not act shocked. My job is not to, to be condescending or yell at them or talk down to them. My job is to look them in the eye, shake my head knowingly, even if I think it's a preposterous idea, and explain to them, here's what we know about that treatment, here's what we don't know, here's what the risks are, here's what we can expect. And then sort of let them do the math in their own head as to why that probably isn't such a good reason to do this. And then ask them, "Have you had? do you have any information as to why you think this is a good idea? What has your friend told you? What's, right. he, what's he based his recommendation on? Well, a friend of his had it done. He thought it worked great. So, well, not everybody is the same way. Second of all, you know, there are certain 
side effects of taking various agents that we can't account for due to our different biochemistry that each of us has. And I don't want to see you have a complication because of a medication, a valid medication we give you that has a counteractive effect because of something you're taking that I don't know about. And so when you start to, when you, when you discuss it with them a little bit more in rational, calm terms, um, they, uh, they, I, I can't remember a player who's gone against our recommendation when you have a, a, a rational, logical discussion like that. And I tell them, I said, I said, listen, I understand what this is about. I understand you want to stand in the field. I understand your NFL lifespan is very small. I understand your support and a mother and three sisters. I, under, I, I understand that, okay? Let me tell you what my job is here, not only to help you in the short term, but also to help you in the long term. It's, and so, you know, they, these guys have a lot of pressures that that I never had. Um, a lot of them grew up in families with fathers that were never there. And so to take advice and to take the counsel of an older male, a lot of them are not used to that, quite frankly. That is a fascinating dynamic. In a way, it's almost gratifying to hear you describe these interactions because, like you say, any given Sunday, North Dallas 40, they do not describe – a, a, a patient-physician relationship where there's shared decision-making, where there's goal-setting, where there's clear communication and transparency. And that, I think, is a lot of the way people perceive healthcare and professional sports. To know that we do things exactly the same way regardless of, you know, what your wallet is or whether you're on TV on Sundays, I think it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's gratifying. It's good to know that those conversations happen. There's the, there's all these stories about, you mentioned the short versus long-term goal setting. And do you, do, do you try to sit down with players so that before something happens, you have a sense of where they are of whatever it takes to get me back out there. I want to do it. Or listen, I need to be thinking about 20, 25 years from now. The story that everyone references was Ronnie Lott when he had that compound fracture of his fifth digit. And he just said, you know what? Take it, take, take that part off. And they did. Where, yeah. where does that decision-making, where does that conversation come from? Do you try to do it with each player in a unique setting, or is there sort of a compact that, hey, you're on this team, you're a pro athlete, we're going to work to get you back out there as quickly as possible? Well, I mean, I think all that could be taken into consideration. I mean, our, you know, their job is to perform on the field. Yeah. I understand that. My job is to make them and allow them to do so in a safe fashion, in a medically ethical fashion, and using medical care that's evidence-based to the extent possible. We kind of joke that there is there is medicine and then there's NFL medicine. And what I mean by that is, you know, the demands of these players, the size of the players, and the speed at which they hit each other is unlike any other situation um, in our society, and except perhaps you know occlusion of car. But there's also you know going back to our first discussion about having so many physicians around there, there's no other situation in our society where you can have a car wreck and have various subspecialists in various areas of medical expertise be at his side within 10 seconds running the field. That doesn't happen anywhere. Even if right. you were in a car wreck in front of a hospital, it's not going to happen like that. So we understand the short-term goals. We understand the short-term risks. But then we Typically, the, the long-term risks involve around arthritis. I mean, for the, what I do with the surgeon, that's the biggest issue. And a lot of them will say, listen, I'll take arthritis and knee replacement when I'm 50. I want to play now. Well, the fact of the matter is having the injury that you had now has a higher risk of leading to arthritis when you're 50, not so much the treatment that we decide to do. And patients have this perception that the NFL players or pro athletes in general have these, you know, extraordinary outside the box multi-million dollar procedures and treatments that are exotic that they would never have. When in reality, the regular patients 
have the more extensive reconstructive procedures, whereas the professional athletes have the more mundane, I don't want to say mean potatoes, but the more basic cleanups and clean outs, so to speak, in order to allow the player to continue to play in a safe fashion. For example, if your knee is locking on you because you have arthritis and you have a loose body, doing some extensive cartilage restoration, which we can physically do, that will keep them out of play for a year, will potentially avoid arthritis down the line, but that's not been proven yet based on the literature. But it will also not allow him to play anymore because he probably won't make the team now. Mm-hmm. However, taking out the loose body, debriding the loose meniscal fragments that are causing his knee to lock, not doing anything to address the arthritis, will allow him to be pain-free, to not have any locking and catching, but it's not going to make his ultimate uh, underlying problem, i.e. the arthritis, any better. So that's kind of where, at least as an orthopedic surgeon, that's where that kind of discussion comes in the most. And I've never had a player who is worried about arthritis on the line because they sort of assume they're going to get it anyway. Um, Not that they're all going to, but there's sort of an assumption that if you play football, you're going to get arthritis. The risk is somewhat higher uh, compared to the general population. Uh, But a lot of these guys, especially the linemen who who are large, if they lose the weight that they put on as players, you know, they're the stress on the joints is much less than when they were than when they were actually playing. When when the sport is evolving in this way, and as you mentioned, there's you know, injury happens on the field. Players, you know, the physician staff is able to get out to the players quickly. You've been doing this for a long time, and you've watched the sport evolve. Are there ever times where you have felt like the sport is evolving into something where it is unsafe, and that steps do need to be taken? I can only imagine when you were in fellowship, you probably never dreamed you would be asked about concussions. I would imagine as much as you're asked about it now. Is the sport trending in a direction that you feel like there is going to need to be interventions and, and alternatives modes of play to make sure that we're optimizing patient uh, player safety? Well, you know, that's a great question. And it gets brought up every year um, when, it, when they talk about rules changes. I mean, the NFL has been more proactive than any other league I know of in terms of rule changes to make the game safe, any of equipment changes to make the game safer for the players. Um, and I guess the cynic could say, well, if it wasn't that dangerous a sport, you wouldn't need to be making all these room cha- rule changes. But the fact of the matter is it's a collision sport, contact sport. Basketball is a contact sport. It's a collision sport. And there is going to be a certain inherent risk of injury whenever you do any activity that involves person-to-person contact the way you do. Having said that, you know, the the league has tried to make it as safe as possible. They And even some of the rules that they make in the name of player safety don't always pan out in having this, the outcome they, that they had hoped for. For example, you know, moving the, moving the uh, touchback to the 25-yard line instead of the 20-yard line on a kickoff, they thought, well, that means there's going to be less players taking the ball out of the end zone for a, for a return following a kickoff. The problem you see now is this season is that some of the teams – are doing these kicks where the ball is kicked up high in the air because the players are so able, so skilled at kicking that they get the, the ball lands on about the five or ten yard line. They can't take the knee in the end zone. Now the player has to take it out. And so <laughs> you are always going to have coaches who are going to try to take the rules that exist and create whatever they can do to make get a competitive advantage over the other team, not in a, in a dangerous fashion, but to work within the rules in order to be competitive and to and to win games on the on the on Sunday. And that's, they're not to be faulted for that. That's, that's their job to do. You know? But I think the league the leagues have over, has had over 40 rules changes in the past few years just in the name of player safety. Um, 
And so that's, you know, they're, they're always trying to do, look for whatever they can based on the literature, based on the research that is out there. You know, and the NFL uses this group called Quintiles, which is a um, medical um, epidemiology company. They're the largest in the world that collects, they're an independent group that collects all the injury data. They provide injury surveillance. They show trends. They meet with the NFL administration every couple of weeks to look at any trends that are going on both in the preseason as well as in the in the regular season, and they give various reports throughout the year. That's been very eye-opening. Um, just looking at the trends that occur, some of the information, some of the questions that even the way press come up. For example, you know, what's the risk of a player safety during the Thursday night game if they've played the previous Sunday? Um, is it a higher risk? We think it probably will be. Well, when you analyze the data from the past several years. There was no higher risk of injury to the players if they played the previous Sunday, if they did not play the previous Sunday, um, or in the, in the weeks following the games they played on a Thursday. So the Thursday, the bottom line is the Thursday night games had no effect, no ill effect on player health and safety, which was re- which was reassuring to know that. But that's where you need to have good data being collected so you can analyze it. You have such a league with seventeen hundred players um, that that you know keep have a higher risk of injury than you would perhaps in any other sport. I think it's good that those sorts of things are being co- computed and that that data exists because there does need to be, I think, a sense of assuredness, not just for the players, but also for the public that steps really are being taken to make the sport as safe as possible because there will always remain that concern. And there will always be that, I think, internal conflict with professional football and then football going down to other levels. Which brings me to a different question. Is there a peer review process for team physicians? Are you guys able to say something happens on the field, a player is not taken out of a game, uh, to say, hey, we need to revisit this. This did not work the way it was supposed to. This was not correct. Or to say, hey, this this approach is working. This player was was taken out of a game, was able to safely return to play. Is there that sort of interchange of ideas between team physicians? So that's an interesting question you brought that up, is that um, we in the Physician Society for the past – I want to say five years, perhaps six or seven years, um, have tried to institute a peer review system, just analogous to what you're saying, um, just like you would have in any hospital or medical center where you can review a situation where we police ourselves, we determine if anything was done inappropriately, and then we recommend the appropriate uh, either discipline or you know remediation in terms of education or whatever the case may be. Well, as you can imagine, as happens all the time in the NFL or in any professional sport, the Players Association has to sign off on it. And so they have not been able to come to an agreement with the Players Association in terms of how to do that in a legally sound fashion where it's where you know HIPAA rights are preserved, where the physicians' rights are, are preserved, that sort of thing. And so the attempt is there on our side, but it's it's sort of stagnated, quite frankly, because of needing permission from the Players Association to do so. In fact, the NFL to actually consult with Vanderbilt. They have a, a peer review process that they help uh, set up at various universities and hospitals across the country. They're they're very adept at doing this. It's called PARS, um, and and thus far it's it's sort of stalled for the reasons I mentioned above. Um, however, part of the collective bargaining agreement does allow for if there is a medical situation where there is question as to how a player was treated. Uh, this came up a couple times. It happened in the uh, Colt McCoy concussion a few years ago. You probably maybe saw a play or heard about that, mm-hmm. um, whether or not it was appropriately done. In that situation, the the NFL chooses one medical independent expert outside of the um, of the league, physicians. 
The Players Association chooses an, a, a second expert, and those two experts choose a third expert. And that three-person team goes in to the team in question, interviews everybody involved, goes over all the data that's available, x-rays, whatever, game film, and then comes to a decision as to was the care appropriate, should there be discipline, should there not be discipline, should there be remediation, or what the case may be. And right now, that's the best option we have in terms of evaluating the appropriateness of the care. Um, but the, the team physicians are all far a peer review process because we're all used to doing it. It, it. There's no, you know, everybody who that's how is we a train, patient. right? That's how we learn. We we right, learn we by self evaluation and team evaluation, and right, yeah, we, it, we do M and M once a month, and so we're it's it's no big deal for us to do that. There are amazing external challenges that physicians who care for NFL players face. Um, it, the core principles of medicine, I think that as you guys are doing, the patient is first, the team is second, the individual is third, but the patient is always first. It's, it's, it's good to know that that remains that core principle because I, look, I think everyone at times has felt like, golly, it seems like are things not going in that direction, but to, to know that there are at least pieces in place to ensure that that is maintained is vital, especially with those external pressures and external personalities that are involved in all of this. Yeah, I would agree. And perhaps we need to do a better job as physicians as far as letting the public know what we do. Um, again, you know, that, that's our nature to do so. Um, but perhaps, you know, my goal, I think it might be beneficial to have, you know, the Physician Society um, do more grassroots work, you know, um, help in some way literally pop Warner football. Because a lot of those kids, they have nobody on the sideline watching their games. And, you know, the NFL tracks that very carefully because if there's little kids not playing because their moms and dads don't want them to play, then they're not going to be big kids playing football. And that's when you that, – that can become an issue for them down the line. And so they track that sort of information very carefully. Um, but, you know, it was a great game. It teaches a lot of principles about life. It teaches teamwork, hard work, dedication. Um, there's a lot of positive benefits of it. Just because you play does not mean you're going to be injured. But if you're a professional player – Nowadays, because we're talking about the NFL, I think your chances for uh, excellent medical care are outstanding. The issue of that future state, how to protect kids that want to play the game, how to let the game continue to evolve. I know you have a full busy clinical schedule, so that's going to have to wait for a part two one of these days. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. This was a fascinating conversation. We all love pro football. We all love watching this sport. It's the biggest sport in the United States. This issue is people are going to continue to meditate on it and marinate with it to, to reconcile themselves. But hearing the way the physicians are able to approach this, the way that they're empowered to approach it and therefore to empower their players, it's gratifying to hear that. Well, I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's never a boring day when you take care of an NFL team. In fact, it, <laughs> it's a year-round job in most part. Yeah. Well, again, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.